Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Women, and I am very excited to be speaking today with Dr. Yading Yu. She is the Chief Medical Officer of Olive, a really well-known and exciting startup. Companies raise hundreds of millions of dollars. We'll hear more about that. Dr. Yu is a practicing physician, serial entrepreneur. She's passionate about transforming the way we imagine and deliver healthcare. Now, she is a serial entrepreneur. She's been named Woman Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur of the Year by Cartier Women's um, Initiative Awards. She's a skilled business operator. She was previously the Chief Medical Officer of Arata Health. That was then later acquired by Olive. She founded and pioneered frictionless uh, prior authorization there, but she founded and was CEO of a company called Twiage. Um, She did this at the early stage of her career. She practices at Mass General Brigham, then more recently at Atrius Health, and she has won a number of innovation awards over her career. Dr. Yu, I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really thrilled to be here. Well, great. Well, let's just dive in. So what I always like to start with and inspiring women with people like you with tremendous careers, what are you doing right now? What are you focused on today? So I have an incredibly fun job. And I, I, when I was a little girl trying to be and thinking that I'll grow up to be a doctor, I probably never thought that I'd be chief medical officer of a AI healthcare startup. But that is, that is what I do today. And I am focused on finding the ways that we use technology and specifically artificial intelligence to accelerate patient care and improve access to care in hospitals and payers across the country. And so my day-to-day is focused on um, building those use cases and running one of our core business units that is building technology that automates things like prior authorizations and medical necessity reviews so that patients can make sure that their care is paid for and reimbursed by, by health insurance, but also so that none of those normally administrative tasks lead to barriers and delays in their care, uh, which is, you know, of course, something that affects all of us personally, but certainly if you were a CEO of a health system, it costs you millions of dollars with delays in care and and lack of billing. So I think it's a rare area where you can find win-win-wins. Well, it's also um, a company that, you know, AI, that's a hot space right now in healthcare. But before we move on to the technology parts of what you do, you're a physician, you're a practicing physician. So why did you start out um, as a physician? What inspired you to begin that career trajectory? I was one of those little girls who thought I was going to be a doctor when I was in kindergarten. And that was, um, and so I, you know, the, to take that into how much thought went into that um, when I was really little. 
And then, you know, over time, I was always a math and science person. So uh, it just seemed to continually to naturally fit. And I think I, you know, actually, when you get into college and you actually have to make a career decision on your first time, um, you have to put that pen to paper. At the end of the day, I realized that I, I just loved helping people. And I wanted to make sure that my career was fulfilling in its own right. I didn't want to feel that I was doing something, um, but then I would find fulfillment in other parts of my life. I mean, of course I find fulfillment in other parts of my life, but that's not at the expense of, you know, sacrificing myself for a job that I feel like I toil away at. So it was critically important to me to say, I love what I do every day. I want to feel that what I do is meaningful. And then I, I also knew very early on in my career, um, I was an economics major, for example, in college. Um, and so I always thought about things in a system. So I, I wanted to be able to help the person in front of me, but also how are the things that I'm doing or that I'm discovering able to help the doctor in Kansas? And, you know, as an individual physician, you only have limited ways that you can do that. But if you become a systems operator, if you become an innovator, you can develop solutions that are then used by everyone. Um, and that means that your impact is so much broader. And that's, that's always something that's really motivated me, excited me and drove me to this career path. Well, you know, having a vision of being a physician um, from kindergarten, you certainly fulfilled that vision. Um, you're a serial entrepreneur. You're an innovator. I didn't realize you were also an economics major. So you're obviously many things and more than one thing all at the same time. So you've also talked about yourself as being an accidental entrepreneur. Tell us what that means. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, as I was talking, you know, I was mentioning, I had thought of myself as maybe, you know, that I would become a doctor and then eventually maybe um, take leadership roles, maybe run a health system, maybe I'd be involved in health policy. I think very often we're very influenced by what type of mentors um, or role models we see. And so when you're going through college and medical school, you see a lot of academics, you see, you see other leaders. And I didn't really see a lot of physician entrepreneurs. And so that, that was clearly not what I had planned to do. But I've also been a person who wants to take the most of the opportunities around her. And so um, when I was a, a a second year resident actually um, at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, the organization had just launched a new innovation organization and they were gonna host their first hackathon. And I thought, you know, I have a little bit of time in my busy schedule. This sounds really cool. I, I should just check it out. You know, let me just check it out. And uh, his first ever hackathon I went to, had no idea what, you know, what to expect. But, you know, ended up, you know, putting together a team and we thought of the idea of triage um, because at the time, and which is actually unbelievably still very much the, the case across the country, radios are the standard of care for communication between an ambulance and a hospital and it's public radio. And so anybody can tap into it. And so Lori, I can't, if I were in an ambulance, I can't say your name. I can't give you any 
I can't give the doctors at a hospital any identifying information about you. And to me, as a physician at the time, I thought that was ludicrous. I mean, my Uber driver knows more about me than the doctor who's uh, waiting at the hospital for a heart attack. So that just became the impetus for that first idea of triage. And I thought, what the heck? Let me see how far that can go. And um, you know, that's how I became this accidental entrepreneur. I made a ton of mistakes, had no idea what I was doing, and somehow got to the other side in and still in one piece. But um, it's definitely set me on this road um, of a very different career path that I had even imagined. Well, it also sounds a bit unbelievable. I'm just going to say that, you know, I had a little bit of extra time as I was a physician. I mean, clearly you have a passion for your work. You have so many accolades um, to your name, Woman Entrepreneur of the Year, Becker's 50 Under 40, Boston Businesses 40 Under 40. So you have Innovation Award and Accolade after Accolade. Where is that passion coming from? It doesn't sound like just a little bit of curiosity and stumbling onto the right problem. It sounds like a little bit more than that to me. So maybe give us some more <laughs> insights. <laughs> well, I, I would say that there is, I mean, I care a great deal about what I'm doing and I work hard, but I also think that those are qualities that exist in so many people, but it really becomes synergistic or explosive when what you're good at and what you work hard at is also something that you're critically passionate about. It just, it all comes together so that it becomes actually natural and easy, right? So, you know, when you're building a company with an idea that you, you think would be dumb that the world doesn't have it, or if you're building a team at a company um, and you can see how, how much that team or that product can do for the rest of the world, it's just natural to put all of your energy into that, but then also find it really rewarding. I mean, at the end of the day, all of those accolades just become a byproduct of, you know, being recognized for doing great work. But I, I actually think that what a lot of people miss in their career path is, is finding that perfect alignment. Because you might, you know, actually find an amazing, um, amazingly well-paid job uh, that possibly you can do well in, but that doesn't give you that fire in your belly to take it to the next level. And but when you do, when you find you know a job that you're perfectly fit for, you are deeply passionate about, um, and rewards you for your hard work, everything seems to come naturally at that point. It's almost like I would also say it's almost like finding the right relationship, right? Like you can have good people and then not be a good fit, but when you find the right partner for you, it's really magical and everything else comes more easily. And I, I think that's how, that's, that's my advice for, for other women looking into careers that it takes hard work to find the right path um, and it takes thoughtfulness and it, it takes, you know, being engaging and having vulnerable conversations, but the work is so meaningful because at the end of the day, you, you benefit the most. Well, passion and hard work are, you know, common ingredients for very successful um, women like you. At the same time, being a younger woman, being a significant leader at a significant company today, but a CEO in um, at other companies at a younger age, there aren't necessarily a lot of um, people that look like you or are of that age in a high tech kind of field. So, 
you know, I, just to talk about something maybe a little bit more difficult, um, you know, there's a lot of public play right now about the difficult shootings in Atlanta and just curious mm -hmm. in terms of issues that you have faced as an Asian woman, as a CEO, as a C-suite executive, just being in that kind of spot. Um, have you had those types of things where it hasn't always been easy and you've experienced some of those difficulties along the way? Yeah, you know, what is so true is that it doesn't matter, you know, all the privileges uh, that you might have earned for yourself. It doesn't matter, you know, what my position is or what colleges I've gone to, what awards uh, I have. We are all just citizens in this community. And so how somebody looks at me or how somebody treats me on the street uh, or in other environments is, is absolutely tainted by, by things like racism and prejudice. And, you know, I grew up in the United States and, um, and I, I would say that I've benefited so much from the American dream in this, in this country, but absolutely have seen or, you know, experienced um, direct racism, whether it was uh, intentionally hostile or, or rooted in ignorance. Because I think a lot of, you know, microaggressions or racism truly come from ignorance um, as opposed to direct hatred. But clearly we're seeing now that plenty of people are motivated directly by hate. And there's very little I can say about that other than that is awful. And we all need to, you know, join together in condemning all forms of that, you know, whether it's, you know, to Asians, to, to Blacks, to transgender, to women, um, to, to any group that's just absolutely unacceptable. But how have you dealt with it? So in those experiences where, um, again, you've got a degree from Harvard, you are as accomplished as you are. In, in the moment, how do you deal with it in a way that allows you to continue to progress in terms of the aspirations or whatever you're trying to work on? You know, what are the types of things that you either ask people to stop doing or want people to start doing so that both you can continue to move forward on initiatives that you're trying to drive or just um, you know, make way for others. I think that's it's so important. So I'm thank thanks for asking the question. I'd say there's a couple things that I I do. Number one, I think the first thing is what you have to do for yourself, which is that when you're in an environment, when somebody challenges you, when somebody questions your intelligence or questions your qualifications, when you should be clearly qualified as the next person, I think it can have such a detrimental effect on your own self-confidence. I've definitely experienced it, right? And you can walk in a room and present to uh, a room full of uh, investors. Most of them uh, tend to be white men. And if they challenge you, they, they ask you questions as if you were uh, less intelligent than who you are. Challenge your ability to actually know your market that you know well. I think many people walk out of those situations feeling beat down. Um, and I think, you know, of course they would. And I think the first thing that I do in those moments is to brace myself, is to actually tell myself it is, you know, what's going on um, and to not allow myself to feel beaten down. Um, because once you start to believe it, once you start internalizing it, there's no way that you can act your best. So I think that's like step one. Um, you have to both shield yourself and realize what's happening. And then how I respond to folks really varies. I, I think it depends on the psychological safety of the situation. There are times where 
sure, you can call folks out, but you might be in a panel uh, or in a situation where everybody has more power than you have. That's really intimidating. I mean, this when you think about all forms of harassment or others, um, it's a power dynamic. And so if you don't feel comfortable speaking out or calling out, you don't necessarily need to do that at that moment. Some people feel comfortable, but you have to feel comfortable. And I, I will say, absolutely, there's been times where I know what's going on. I can see what's going on and I grip my teeth and I finish the conversation because I don't feel comfortable calling this person who is so influential in this community or so uh, important. Um, and I don't have the safe space to be able to, to make that. That said, even in times when that has happened, I think very much I, you know, I don't want to work with people or engage with people who are like that. And so I very intentionally say, you know, I'm not going to work with toxic people. I'm not going to work with people who can't see the value of who I am. And uh, I choose to not to work with them. But I also, I think, you know, speak about it with, with others in the community and talk about my experiences because, you know, I don't want to suffer in silence and I try not to. And I think, you know, Lori, to uh, in other situations, I think there's going to be situations where it's not necessarily hostile, but it's, again, that kind of ignorant comment that might be made towards you, whether it's about your gender or about your race, and it's with from a colleague. Um, and for those, I think there's those are, for me, opportunities for education. And depending on the scenario, oftentimes I might pull that person aside and just and tell them how I felt about that, why their words affected me um, that way, and that you know, here's what um, would have been more helpful. Here's here's some ways that you could uh, improve this. And and frankly, you know, some of that has been, you know, women, for example, are much more likely to be interrupted in a meeting than men. And I have certainly, being an executive, noticed that despite the fact that I I have a, a C-suite title that I am continuously interrupted by some members of the team, and usually they're men. Um, and when that really becomes a problem, at some point I, I just call out that, uh, well, before you interrupted me, <laughs> I just <laughs> call out the activity. Uh, so they, they, you know, they get a little bit of a, of a reminder, but I will talk to them and say, you know, I've been noticing that when I'm speaking, you continue to interrupt me and I really would appreciate that you don't. And, and I think, you know, being able to have those conversations with your colleagues uh, is important. I try to advance that. Well, there's so many pieces of advice um, in there as well as thoughtful um, comments. And, you know, I also like how you pulled out the power dynamic that often comes in some of those conversations and by being able to recognize something as a power dynamic, which always has uh, influence over women's confidence in particular, something we talk about all the time um, that, you know, those are some things that can help you sort of get the right mindset to deal with things in the moment. A couple more things, um, Yading, that I, I just wanted to touch on. You have a lot of time, it seems, to do humanitarian efforts and give back. I don't know where you find all this time, but you've done this over the course of your career. What's important about that to you? Why do you spend the extra time that I know you don't have to do things like give back, whether it's tutoring those in prison, whether it's um, doing uh, Doctors Without Borders, those types of things. You know, it's part of this, this whole ethos of making sure that what I do with my time and my life is incredibly fulfilling. And over the course of my life, I have found, 
you know, activities, for example, like prison tutoring, which I started in college, or, you know, working on issues affecting Myanmar and, and the Burmese people as just things that, that provide that extra depth that, you know, who cares what I did today at, at work? Um, yes, that advanced uh, the business for my company, but there are people who have far less than I have and who I can still learn a great deal from. So that's, that's really important. I try to wrap that up in everything that we do. I mean, even at Olive, one of the things we sit on uh, now nearly a, a petabyte of data, which is a huge amount of healthcare data. And we chose, because we believe in giving back, to look at that data for Women's History Month. And we looked at breast cancer data to understand if, you know, especially during COVID, was there any impact to women's breast cancer screening? And, you know, part of that where we realized that breast MRIs, which are part of the gold standard screenings for women with high risks of breast cancer, they're denied by insurance about 13.5% of the time. That's four and a half times more than for mammograms. And we're calling on further research. You know, we're, we're not a breast cancer company. This is not necessarily our space. But when you see a problem, uh, we're all citizens of this world. We have to call it out. We have to say, you know, there's, this doesn't look right. Um, and women shouldn't be at risk of not getting the right breast cancer screening simply because of an insurance issue. So, so it's examples like that. I think we can all find ways to give back, you know, whether it's in your work or, or outside of work. I think it's all part of what we should do. I, I certainly feel really strongly about that. Well, you're clearly um, bringing that both to your outside life as well as into your important work today. So that's just wonderful. As we close out here, um, Yuding, I did the thing I'd like to know about, you know, you, you've said, I've read that a quote from you. I thought this was fantastic, that success was never a straight path. It was always a winding road and I've had my share of failures. Doesn't sound like it to me. That said, how, how do you think about sort of your career progression, whether it's mentors or role models or just what you think about generally in terms of what you're aspiring to do? Um, I would stick by that quote any day. Because <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I always tell other folks, what you see on my bio um, is the highlight reel. It's like the Instagram uh, of my career. And you don't see all the times that I've made a mistake or I've not gone the job I wanted or um, absolutely messed up. Uh, and the truth is, I, I don't want um, bios like mine or careers like mine to feel unattainable because I don't think that's true. I think, in fact, um, you know, not everybody can be as lucky um, as I have been, but that it's not something that just, you know, she had this uh, perfect ride up and a perfect career trajectory. And frankly, in my life, that's actually been very reassuring. <laughs> when I've seen that from others, I'm like, oh, great. Okay. You don't have to have everything figured out. And, and that's, I think that's true as adults. We realize, you know, you, you grow up thinking um, you need to have everything figured out, but you don't. Becoming an adult doesn't, um, doesn't magically endow you with more wisdom which is why we need those mentors and uh, champions and sponsors in our life. And I think of mentors as, you know, the collection of individuals who um, I seek 
for advice, but also just for their opinion. It, it's not necessarily that they have to be this um, wise person that just shares, you know, all these resources with you. I think that's a lot to ask of any individual mentor. And if you have one, amazing. But frankly, I, I reach out to mentors to some help me with salary negotiations um, because they're very good at that. Some help me with thinking about how to negotiate a deal. Others help me with work-life balance because you know that's a, a real value there. So it, it really is about you know building a collection of people who you draw wisdom from. Um, I think it's it's much more of that bi-directional relationship than you know rather a one-directional relationship. And if you do that well and you cultivate that for most of your career, you'll go really far because they, they help ground you and they help guide you and help you better visualize the path forward. Well, I think that that is just fantastic advice to close out on in terms of having just a collection of mentors and people to give you advice along the way. And um, I'll be looking for some of those failures because I haven't heard of one yet in this conversation. This has been a terrific, inspiring woman conversation with Dr. Yuding Yu of Olive. Thank you so very much for being here today. Thank you very much. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.